Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast as part of our uh, Giving Tuesday series uh, co-hosted with Katie Cash from LA28. Um, we've got our special guest, in, uh, the CEO of Rise in Diane Billings-Burford and um, really going to dive into everything uh, Rise as it relates to the nonprofit world and um, creating a nation unified through sports committed to uh, racial equity and social justice. And um, Katie, I'll let you kick it off because um, it, it's something that as we talk about kind of the start of the podcast and giving back and providing advice and insights and trying to create, gosh, 300 plus episodes now of just people from all different walks of life and backgrounds and experiences and, you know, different journeys um, throughout the sports industry. Everyone can relate in one way or another, somehow, some way, and someone knows somebody from somewhere. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about giving back and providing to those who you don't know um, and being you know, able to be vulnerable in that sense. So Katie, I'll let you kick, kick the episode off and introduce Diane. Sure. So um, speaking of people you don't know, I mean, Diane and I hadn't met uh, <laughs> prior to jumping on this call. So um, I think it goes to show that uh, all it really takes is a phone call or an email. Um, I say that, but as someone who um, sits with a lot of, not a lot of, but a, a considerable amount of social capital where I had the opportunity to reach out to Diane. You know, we were just talking with sports biz camps about how social capital is so valuable in the world of sport. And without it, we wouldn't be able to make these connections. You know, so I'm quite privileged in the opportunity to speak to Diane. Um, and I see her sitting here shaking her head yes. So um, not everyone has that opportunity. But the reason why I reached out to Diane and her team is Rise, um, their name is really synonymous when you think about nonprofits and sport. Um, and in general, there's been, I think, an, an, an influx, as there should be, of nonprofit organizations that are using the power of sport to truly drive sustainable change, whether that be through racial or social equity, sustainability, gender parity. And it just gets me like wildly excited. Um, so I've had you know, a little bit of experience on my own in the nonprofit world, and I just think there's never um, a platform large enough for these organizations to be able to speak about what they do. And so Jake um, had reached out to me about like, hey, can you come on the podcast and maybe talk about what you've done in your career? And I'm like, I'm sick of talking about myself. So let's talk about the people who are actually doing cool things. So um, with that, Diane joins us and I am thrilled. So Diane, Instead of me trying to, um, you know, read off the great things that you do, I'd love to hear from the horse's mouth um, what you've been doing and kind of the future of Rise. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. Um, Katie, I just want to say in Rise language, we, one of our modules, we, our mission, thank you, Jake, for sharing our vision. So first, our vision, right, is to create this nation that's unified through sport. We think it's really important that we put that word unified at the top. We educate specifically on race to improve race relations and to unify us as a country. Um, so we wanna unify the nation through sport on these issues of racial justice and, and equity. Um, and our mission, right? So that's the lofty vision. Our mission is to educate and empower the sports community to be able to do that. Um, and so one of the things we educate on Katie is privilege. Uh, and, and we really share with folks that the vast majority of us have some forms of privilege. Privilege in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? We've gotten to this point where we're kind of bashing folks for privilege and having privilege might not necessarily be bad. 
But what's really important is what folks do with it when they realize they have it. So I thank you, right? Because you gave this really great example. Um, I, I kind of see myself as just Diane, but you're right. And sometimes in some ways it's not that easy to access me and you had that privilege, right? And you said, what am I gonna do with this privilege in this moment? And so I thank you for doing that. I thank you guys for having me. Uh, and I'm excited about the podcast. Um, I don't even know where to start. I don't wanna be long-winded because I'm, I'm not a young woman. I'm not a spring chicken. Uh, I've had a long career. I was just on a podcast that asked me about my first job and I've been working since about 14 years old. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a girl from Brooklyn. I went through a program, the Summer Youth Employment Program uh, that at that time, I believe it's still the same, uh, was targeted for youth from underprivileged neighborhoods. Uh, my first job was in the Brooklyn Department of Motor Vehicles, so you can all feel for me. Uh, it's been a long journey since then, and so I won't take everyone through it, but I'm betting through some of our questions, it'll come out. Um, right now, I have the privilege of leading RISE, uh, and I say privilege because I share with you the mission. I get to earn my keep doing something I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, I get to engage with folks that have tons of privilege, right? My board, which is both uh, something I'm super excited about and sometimes is a struggle, is made up of the commissioner of the major sports leagues, the heads of the sports section of the major media companies, um, and some other really high level individuals. Um, I get to engage them and help them to figure out how to help us to achieve that mission um, and so that's what RISE is about. And we really believe that we can educate and we can empower um, to unify this nation on these issues. We are not Pollyannas. We know that issues of race in particular, in particular in this country have been um, difficult for centuries. So to think that we're gonna find a silver bullet, anyone that thinks that is not being realistic, but we are also optimistic. And we do believe we can educate, we can empower, we can start having these conversations to lead folks to take actual actions so that when we look back, we can say we're better now than we were before and we can be continuing on that journey. So that's what I do. Um, I can get into the nitty gritty of what RISE is planning to do. We just finished our series of strategic planning for 2022. Uh, our theme for next year is to be courageous. So I think anyone who has been impressed with what we did in 2021, buckle up, so. And I, I just wanna say, Katie talked about, she didn't wanna talk about herself and look, we can get into your journey and your story, but I think um, everyone's got one, right? And then it's like, okay, well, everybody's also human. Like you're not up on this pedestal, you know, that you're better than everybody else. And, and I think people also just wanna know that those that they wanna to aspire to be, go through the same struggles as you do, right? And yep. so when you're talking about being courageous, what's one thing that you were courageous about in 2021? And, then, and, and just, you know, what kind of impact did you have? What kind of, how did it impact you? And then when you do think about 2022, what are you gonna be courageous about? And, and is it something that, you know, if you, if you would have told yourself in January of 21, I'm gonna do this, you would have probably been like, no way. Yeah, I we were pretty intentional. You know, 2020, right, was this year that changed the world. Um, and I feel like Rod stepped up to the plate there. And a lot of leaders were asking us at that point, 
we begun to engage so many folks, they were like, well, what's next, right? And, and folks were worried that this national attention to social justice and racial equity would go away. It would be a fad. Um, and so one of the courageous things we decided at RISE for 2021 was, we're, it's not gonna go away. We're going to work for this to continue to be a majority conversation, one. We're gonna work for this to continue to be a positive conversation, two. Um, and then three, and, and it's very specific, we made a goal to, that we were going to be the organization that was encouraging, quite honestly, predominantly white sports to engage in this space. So I would say that's one of our more courageous moves in 2021. We were intentional about it and we went after it. So, you know, I, I looked at the, as 2021 was wrapping up and we won the partner, the diversity partner of the year award from NASCAR. Um, we launched a program with SailGP. Uh, we did incredible amounts of work with, um, with First Tee, which is connected to golf. And so I think folks are anticipating that we'll be involved with the NFL and the NBA. Um, but, but we really were courageous and said, we think this is important and we want to do this in predominantly white spaces as well. So that's for sure uh, was part of our goal in 2021. And I feel good about uh, how we performed against that goal. 2022, I do think we are, we're focused on what does it mean now to go deeper? Um, Rise is pretty open that we educate in the hopes of evolving folks' thoughts and attitudes. We think that a lot of not-for-profits, I've worked at a number, they're great. It is important for folks to look at behaviors. We measure behaviors to figure out if we're having an impact. I've led those things. I've built those things. I believe in those things. Um, RISE also believes we've got to, though, on this topic, get to thoughts and attitudes because that's what's going to sustain long-term behaviors. That's going to be the difference between somebody doing something right right now and doing, doing the right thing when no one's looking, right? Um, and so 2022 for us is about going deeper places, making sure that we are able to measure um, some of the impact we're trying to have in those changes in thoughts and changes in attitudes, but also now really getting to that point of saying those changes in thoughts and attitudes are leading to what behaviors uh, that we believe are sustained or sustainable. So that's what courageous looks like to us. It sounds pretty clinical, but I have to tell you, when you say those things to people, they get scared. So it is pretty courageous because we're going to get them there by hook or by crook. 100%. I think you, you know, being courageous is not only doing the right thing when no one's looking, but it's also being able to stand for things in the public eye. You know, there's so many people that do great work or, um, you know, have um, wonderful things to say uh, when there's not a camera on their face or if they don't believe that they might feel repercussions from the things that they say. So I love that you're leading into 22 with um, courage. And, um, you know, in our short time together, I've been able to kind of look back at your career and you have incredible experience that spreads the gamut from, as you said, the DMV, um, but that is not your only government role, right? You've held roles um, within the government. You've held with large media corporations at Time Warner, and now you're on the nonprofit side of the world. And knowing that those three have such reach and scale and power, how can you see the three of those working together, right? Like as someone who works for the Olympics, 
I think that the reason why the Olympics and Paralympics, why we have such an opportunity when we bring a domestic games here to LA is because those convening powers will be coming together. We'll have the government on our side. We will have brands on our side. We will have media, media to be able to amplify the stories of our athletes. Um, and so I'd love to hear from your perspective, how can those three um, kind of verticals of, of, um, of, the, of corporate America work together? Yeah, so thank you so much for that, Katie. I actually think it is, I'm going to take a step back. Another early job I had, it was not the DMV, but it was government. I was a White House intern. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was in D.C. and I was on the Hill and I saw a hearing. And I was watching Senator Ted Kennedy, just to tell you how old I am. So I was watching Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, and I forget which committee it was. And I was like, uh, forget being the president. I think I want to be a senator. Like this guy is sitting here and they're like people giving him information to answer every question. This is amazing. So, the, um, but seriously though, in that internship, I learned, I got to in sitting and listening to committee hearings and, and looking at DC and, and understanding what the White House does. I realized there is actually no large scale problem that is anywhere close to being addressed if you don't have investment from all three sectors, right? So literally, if we think of anything, if it is worth doing, if it has to be done, its solution sits in all three sectors. Um, as we you know, sit here and live through us trying to come out of this pandemic, I think it's a great example, right? Like we, we, will, we will not come out of this pandemic if you don't have government action, if you don't have private sector action and cooperation and leadership, and if you don't have not-for-profits, right, who are creating safety nets, who are making things possible, I think it's a great example of if there's anything challenging that needs to be done, especially in the United States, because of our form of government, because we are capitalists, it is going to require the investment of all three sectors. Um, and so that that kind of knowledge early on, I was um, finishing, I think I was finishing junior year when I did that fellowship at the, when I was a White House uh, intern, it, it set me on this trajectory that I, I really had every intention of working in every sector um, because I think it helped me to understand that all of them were necessary and then figuring out where I fit, where I could have the greatest uh, impact. And the conclusion I've come to is that I can have a pretty significant impact in any of them. Um, it is about what I'm tasked to do and where I'm sitting. You know, I had, you mentioned working for government. I had a great, great position uh, in the New York City Mayor's Office with Mike Bloomberg. And there, again, had this awesome responsibility of leading NYC service as New York City tried to figure out how we were gonna come back from the crash of 08. Um, and sustain our livelihood? And then how are we going to use service uh, to do that? There are 8 million of us. I'm like, if we all invest uh, in one another, we can get through this. Uh, but we have to do that in pretty clear and, and direct ways. So I think all three sectors are necessary. If there's any, if, if it's anything significant that has to be achieved in this country, you're not going to achieve it without the involvement of all three sectors. Diana, go ahead, Katie. I was just going to say, I have to say, being in the mayor's office after 2008, being in the role that you're in after 2020, I mean, bless you, and you're doing amazing work, but you've got some interesting timing. <laughs> interesting timing. This one was a little intentional. I will say, uh, talking about corporate sector, I was at uh, then Time Warner, 
AT&T was seeking to acquire us. Government was blocking that. Um, I, I've shared this, so I don't mind sharing it. Coming from fairly humble beginnings, it was one of the first times I saw a severance package. Now, I've had a law degree already. I'd heard of severance packages. You know, I've been a corporate lawyer, but I had never had one put in front of me, the potential of one. The minute I saw the terms of that severance agreement, I told them I have never in my life gotten money to not work. I want one of those. I don't care whom I want me. I, I want to experience that money to not work. Um, and so, um, uh, so literally I was figuring out what I was going to do next, even as I was waiting to get this package. I mean, I wanted this package. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was waiting to get the package. Deal hadn't gone through. Deal finally goes through. We're still waiting. And, um, and I had actually already lined up to teach uh, at, um, at NYU. Um, and I was like, I'm going to live on my package. I'm going to teach. I'm going to chill out for a while. I haven't chilled out in a long time, you know. Um, and Rise's position came to me. And the truth is, I, I met with someone about it. They said, oh, we don't know if it's a match. I said, hey, great. I felt like, just so you guys know, I'm a Christian. I felt like I prayed about it. I was like, God, if you needed me to do it, I put myself forth. I don't have to do it. I'm going to chill. And the same role came back to me again. So, um, and here I am. And I do think, to your point, I, I, I kind of gave up the cushy plan because I just was so devastated by how divided our country was becoming. Um, and and I have kids. And I was like, and this is not the world I want for my children. And so I think. All of us, when we have those moments, the next question needs to be, okay, so what's your, what's your role in fixing whatever you think is the challenge? Um, and so, you know, I took this role. I like, and it wasn't cushy. It's not, it's not a, it's a wonderful role, but you're right. There are moments, woo, this, this job makes me earn mine. But, um, but it was a critical time. Our, our nation was so divided. I think we still are, but I actually think we're much better. Uh, than we were in 2018. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's our goal. That's what we're here for. Diane, as you set out for these accomplishments and, and the impact and the change, you know, you've been in other sectors where there's certainly failures and successes and sports is not, uh, you know, separate from that, right? There's plenty of failures and successes that sports and the industry has had as a whole. Um, when you think about what you've seen and learned from other failures and primarily failures, right? Because that's how we grow. That's how we learn the most. Yep. Um, whether it's at the DMV, the White House, Time Warner, wherever, you know, government, um, what is one thing that the sports industry can take from what you've learned and what you've seen uh, kind of going forward into the future? Because again, if you haven't experienced it in other industries, you maybe just don't know, and that's okay, but let's just all acknowledge we don't know what we don't know. Yeah, well, so I love that question, Jake, because um, at the root of it, right, is we're all, I think one of you said it earlier, we're all human, right? So in every single industry, we're going to run into the same problems because they're all made up of humans. <laughs> so the um, it's interesting. I think the greatest lesson, I would say this not only for leaders in the sports space, but I've been saying this to leaders overall, is, is a lesson that we can borrow from other sectors. But I actually think if we just step back, we can borrow, everyone could borrow it from what they already know, which is 
I, I think we're at this moment of great leaders, typically people who have big positions because they have done well, right? Not because they didn't deserve them, but because they have done well. They are also people that in some point in their career or their life, they have done the thing that others thought was improbable, right? Like that's the truth. Like every time I say this to a leader, I'm like, you're probably sitting where you're sitting because there were people sitting where you were before, but you managed to do with that what others couldn't. And it has led to your success. And I think that is the lesson that we have to take at this moment. Some of the work, especially in this, how do we be, how how do we live this inclusion? How do we really do it? it? It is not actually as easy to put into practice as it is to say. It feels sometimes improbable. It can also feel impossible. I think one of the lessons that certainly in government, um, the government se sector has to deal with is, you know, I remember when Hurricane Sandy hit New York and it feels improbable that you will keep, you will get everyone to safety. Like literally, we had hundreds of thousands of people with no heat, no water. Well, it was no power, no water. Then we had a cold snap like now, and all of a sudden we have people with no heat. And it feels improbable. It feels impossible, right? And good leaders figure things out like bringing MTA buses into parking lots, turning them on so they're heated and giving people a place to go, heating certain places, getting segments up by sectors. And so I think the sports industry can say that we are at this point where sometimes being more inclusive feels improbable and sometimes it feels impossible, but we can definitely look at other sectors and say great leaders meet those moments, find solutions and move forward. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that's the thing we have to say to ourselves in the sports industry and a lot of industries right now. Diane, those are real problems. Like <laughs> really? anytime... Exactly. You know, I, I think back to like, you know, Katie's obviously involved in what will be one of the biggest events in, in the history of the country, right? But like, think about when this when the lights go off at the Super Bowl or, you know, some like some catastrophic mistake or whatever problem. It's not a problem, though. Like, right, we're still okay. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to be okay. There aren't 100, you know, 100,000 people that don't have power or don't have heat or whatever, right? Like, there's larger things at play. And I think sometimes you have to take that step back and go like, what are we really doing and like yeah the games are fun and the athletes are, are doing what they're doing and they're trying to you know win and break records and win championships and all that but on the business side when you take a step back like how do we use this platform that we ha that has been built right sports wasn't you know when you when you look at um some of my co-hosts of the podcast andy dolich and pat gallagher and fred claire who have been in the industry for such a long time like they'll tell you when they started it wasn't like this, right? And it wasn't, I mean, you had 10 people in a front office and it wasn't to the scale that it is now. And so how do you use the platform? And, and Katie can speak to this obviously a lot better with what she's got going on, but just how do you use the platform for good, right? And for impact and to be able to recognize that that's more important than some other things as well. Katie, you wanna, yeah, I loved, I wanna hear what you say. Sure. Um, you, know, you know, I think Jake, as you're saying, it's definitely not life and death um, when it comes um, to the quote unquote problems, I guess, that we um, potentially face in the front office in sports business. But I think that's also our greatest strength. Um, you know, it's the opportunity with the extra time, resources, smarts to be able to use it as a vehicle to drive change. 
right? So when I think about the LA 28 games, right? And the Olympics and Paralympics coming to Los Angeles, we are going to have the most sustainable games because we do not have to build a single venue. We have world-class arenas. We have, um, you know, universities that can be used for athletes' villages. We've got um, the, you know, we, we've already had the games there. So we've got the great Coliseum. So in, because we have that, as Kathy Carter says, this embarrassment of riches, that gives us a longer runway to focus on what matters, to focus on our legacy as a games and how we give back to the city of Los Angeles, the country as a whole, and the entire Olympic and Paralympic movement. How do we make an impact in sustainability? How do we make an impact in education and disability inclusivity? And that's really where our organization has been focused. So while, you know, we, some may laugh and say it's just sports right, it, or it's just entertainment. I think we have the largest megaphone, the most set of eyes on us. And so it's really up to every property, every team, every nonprofit organization, and even every athlete themselves to truly take on that extra time and that responsibility and try and make change. Um, but yeah, Diane, that's my thoughts, I guess. What about you? I love that. You got me so hyped for 2028, but the, um, <laughs> Hey, but, hey, um, one, one day at a time, one day at a time. I know, I know. I'm so excited though. I, um, I just, I love the answer so much. I, I must say to, I was thinking about your question, Jake. And the first thing I thought of was I get the privilege. My board chair is Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner of the NFL. And so you talk about that this world is different now. Paul always laughs when he was first asked, asked to teach a sports law course. And he was like, it's just law, right? Like so much has evolved that now there's sports law. We have whole sports management programs, but Paul was like, when I began, it was just because like I understood contracts, right? Like it wasn't sports law. Um, and so the the industry, the business has evolved and, and that's a good thing. And it's a, it's a natural thing. Um, and you're right, it is simply entertainment. However, um, to, to your point, Katie, I think it is entertainment with one of the largest megaphones. And there are really critical moments where this entertainment and this platform can be used to have a phenomenal impact. Um, Paul and I, when we first met, I told him, I didn't even understand what an NFL commissioner was when I was younger. When I learned about what an NFL commissioner was is when it became news that Arizona wouldn't acknowledge Martin Luther King uh, Junior's birthday, and they wouldn't acknowledge the national holiday. And Paul was commissioner. And that is the first time I read and paid attention to the name Paul Tagliabue. And the NFL decided not to have the Super Bowl there because of that. And that is this moment of it's just entertainment, but the impact you can have that you're not even aware of. I'm a young girl in Brooklyn, never heard of this man. I watch football. I love the Giants, but I don't understand the business side of football until that moment, right? Until you had that impact. Um, you know, Katie, when you talked about 2028, I also think of Paul talking about what he felt the NFL role, NFL's role needed to be after Katrina hit New Orleans. Maybe one of his proudest moments, right, is figuring out how to bring people together, how to make it good business, how to make it sustainable, but to keep that team in New Orleans at that moment. Um, and so it is, uh, it is entertainment, but the impact, right? The societal impact that we can have with um, sports 
um, as the vehicle is pretty significant. Um, and so I hope you just, I hope you keep that attitude about 2028 and, and you think of those moments because you're in that, you're in that position to do those great things that can have lasting implications. Diane, I, I think, you know, I want to do a mic drop because like that, that was worth it, but we got to continue just a little bit more in that. I think it's really interesting to understand, like when you first get into a role, right, especially at a, at a CEO level, you're like, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. But like, we all know that your advice probably is, hey, we got to sit back, observe, listen, learn, see what's been done before, take it in, and then, right, go about it. And uh, you seem like the type of person that just wants to jump in and like make things happen. And so uh, I've known you for now 30 minutes, but like, what's, what's, you know, you talk about courageous being that word, what's ahead for rise, what's the type of impact you're trying to make, how can people help, right, as, as I mentioned, like we started this podcast to try and give back to others, how are you trying to give back and um, how can people who are listening to this and who, who this gets shared with help you help the organization help others. Awesome, thank you for that. And yeah, you did pick up on that. We do this thing called the leadership compass here. It helps me to understand those I'm working with and their working styles. It's a pretty simple test, but I am what they call North and I am, I just want to get at it, right? Um, and so it's good to have others around with different working styles to, to make an even team. Um, and so I do have to usually push myself, Diane, sit back, watch, learn, and then proceed because I, I just want to proceed. I'm still um, laughing that you thought you were going to be able to sit and chill for a year or two. By the I way. did. I had convinced myself. I was so hyped. I did not laugh. Only people who can't sit and chill say that. Just, <laughs> really? Just that yeah. I, I really worked myself through that. But you're, you're right, Katie. I, but I do think I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting the close to being able to do it. The um, next year. We've got some big goals. One of the things I would say how folks can help, we mentioned wanting to go deeper. We have 10 hubs. We will expand to 15 hubs. By that, for hubs, they are, for us, it's geographic. We work nationally. Uh, we partnered with people in 41 states last year. We will never stop doing that. But we have 10, and that going into 2022, 15 places, we, we are proactive and intentional about having multiple programs with multiple partners and bringing the sports industry together. Um, the truth is those types of plans take funding. Um, again, I mentioned if, if folks wanna help, I, I want you to go to risetowin.org. We have tons of ways for you to be educated right on our website. Um, tons of ways for you to be empowered uh, right on our website. And we also need folks help to donate. I've got, a, like I said, I've got a pretty big board. I've been here a little over three years. Our budget has doubled in that time. This board has really stepped up. Uh, our budget right now for next year is 7.2 million. Board is gonna take care of at least 60% of that. But going back to this hub strategy, when we go places, our commitment is to never really ask a community group for a donation. I've never, I never want to tell a school that may not have the funds or a group that may not have the funds for our interactive programming that we can't do it. In fact, we won't. I've made a commitment. We just figure it out. That's, that's my job. Um, and so 
uh, giving does help us in those times, in those moments. It allows us to keep proceeding. To give an example, we just finished a multi-week program in Indianapolis with the Colts. They were amazing. Every week, our curriculum interactive. Um, the Colts were all in. Uh, Chris Ballard there, Bullet there is amazing, their GM. Um, and there were players at every session with young people from a not-for-profit in the area. Um, and we even had moments, right, where young people were saying some troubling things as far as inclusion about, it, quite honestly, someone said something homophobic. And in that moment to have a football player say, hey, like, that's not cool. Why would you say that? Why would you think that? Let's talk about that, the power of that moment. And so the Colts were there. The Colts are great champions. They are supportive, but there are also costs, like in addition to what they give and what they bring. And we're never, again, going to say that that not-for-profit or any other school or any other not-for-profit that we engage, that RISE can't do everything we need to do. And so it's moments like that, that you know, we're raising money for and it, it really helps us to move forward. And then there's sometimes we have some places, guys, that they don't have professional teams sitting right in the locale. Every place is not Indy, every place is not Denver, every place is not LA. Um, and so when that happens, right, we need, to be, we need to have the funding to go in and run great programming there as well. And so I would say giving is a way to help. Getting educated is a way to help. If you run a sports program and you're like, I don't know how to do this diversity stuff, that's awesome. Because we don't think you need to know. We think we need to know. We want to partner with you. Uh, so reaching out and partnering with us uh, is a great way to help as well. Yeah, I was going to say time, you know, obviously dollars are important. Dollars solve a lot of problems, but time at the same you know, point um, yeah. and perspective is, is just as beneficial. And to be able to provide resources facilities, whatever it might be. Yeah, facilities, program. connections. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and Diane, like we were talking about in one of the other episodes, you can't do it all by yourself, right? You oh, you have to have other people around you that can help that want to help that then hopefully that giving mentality then kind of spreads to others, right? And it's contagious, yep. not, you know, to kind of play off of your courageous, right? It's, it's a little contagious in terms of the giving. And um, we'll put some some details in the episode uh, description so that if they want to donate, they can go there and um, visit the website, right? Of course. But uh, I got to wrap up with this one question. You've got, you talked about some different geographies. You're going to different hubs. Got to have a favorite spot in the good old US of A. Well, my favorite spot in USA, hands down, is Brooklyn. I mean, I'm a Brooklyn girl through and through. I love visiting other places. And as uh, we were saying, I think I could move someplace else now, but I, I think there are parts of Brooklyn that are just my favorite spots. Um, I will say recently, uh, the Shirley Chisholm Park was opened deep in Brooklyn. Uh, and there are just some spots where during COVID, I just kind of sat there and got my head right so I could go back home and work another day. So Shirley Chisholm Park, some of those trails might be my favorite spots right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we know you'll be out in LA in 2028. I know that for a fact. Uh, yeah. That's, that's... Or next week. Yeah. yeah I with open arms. <laughs> oh, Katie, Diane, really appreciate your time. Thanks for being a participant on this, this episode series with us uh, for Giving Tuesday. And 
I'm really excited to see what Rise will be courageous enough to accomplish in 2022 uh, and, and looking forward to much uh, thereafter. Thank you guys for having me. It's great meeting you. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Jake.